Your home buying education on the house. Your neighborhood insights on the house. Answers to your calling questions on the house. This is On the House, brought to you by Primary Residential Mortgage. Now, here's your host of On the House, Harry Christ. Good morning, Seattle. Welcome on this uh, most uh, fantastic, incredible day. We got the Seattle Seahawks playing the San Francisco 49ers today, and we are excited. We're looking for a huge win in this uh, amazing race, and hopefully that all gets kicked off, I think, around 520 today. So we're all excited about the, the Seahawks bringing it home and hopefully taking first place in our division. A huge game, you know, uh, Marshawn Lynch and Turbin's back, so I'm looking forward to all that. Britt, are you excited about the Seahawks this weekend? I absolutely cannot wait. That's all I can really think about. So this, I hope I can pull it together for the show today. Right? The city is a buzz. It really is. I, I've been looking for a Marshawn jersey. I just can't find one. Just can't I'm, find I'm one? Zero. I'm sure they're printing up some right now as we speak. So. I will say that after the game, then that's probably what I'm going to buy. So, ladies and gentlemen, depending on how it goes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Shauna, you excited about the game coming up? Heck yeah. I think I need to make an early morning visit here after the show to uh, the Beast Mode store because it's still open and ready for for business. Yeah. Pick up some gear. That'd be awesome. Uh, So, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to make some introductions here to uh, On the House Radio. So, I have uh, Britt Wimber with uh, Sotheby's. Hi (laughs) there. How's it going? You got it right. I did. I like it. Uh, Also, I have Shauna Peterson with the Warmack Group. That's right. And I have Jelaine, Jelaine Schlicke with CE Forward. CE Forward. So I'd like to do a little intro for Jelaine. Um, so Jelaine is uh, one of our fantastic trainers. Uh, she's um, She researches, she writes, uh, instructs educational courses for the real estate and mortgage industry. She's the owner of CE Forward, Inc. And Jelaine also provides consulting services in the area of compliance uh, mortgage lending, mortgage fraud, ethics, and communications, to say the least, right? Correct. Well, welcome to the show. I know it's your first time, and I just want to say thank you for uh, partnering with us this weekend. Really appreciate that a lot. Happy to be here, Harry. Thanks for the uh, thanks for the invite. Absolutely. So, like to get into. Uh, obviously, there's so so many interesting stories, but I'm going to kick it off with my two realtors here first and foremost, and kind of see how. How the market's been doing, Britt? How how are things on the east side? Well, it's been pretty incredible. Um, from the la- year over year, we have seen a dramatic reduction in inventory, and sales are just doing great. So things are looking very very strong on the east side. I'm I'm looking forward to very strong 2020. Right. I I personally think uh, you know December kind of slowed down for us. You know, a lot of purchase business came in. A lot of refinances continue to pour in because of the low rate environment, right? Um, and so that's always a good thing. But I definitely saw a trickling off of uh, application flow in the last couple weeks. But we are expecting a, a resurgence of new activity, especially in the next few weeks with more inventory. It's true. In December, we generally see a lack of new inventory coming out. No one really wants to put their home on the market in December, Pretty much between Thanksgiving and right after the new year, it becomes kind of a dead zone. But that is not for lack of people actually wanting to buy. It's really homeowners just not being ready to put their home on the market. So I am ready to see some great new fresh inventory coming out. 
probably second week of January is when I'm predicting. Yeah, a couple of weeks back now, we had um, uh, Chairman and CEO of, uh, of uh, John L. Scott on, and uh, Lennox Scott, and he was talking about, he was you know thinking that January, February was really going to start off with a tear this year. So projecting that inventory levels were going to increase. Did you did you see that episode? Uh, no, I don't put me on the spot like that, Harry. No, I did not no? see that episode. But I wanted to like chime in about the low inventory levels sure, yeah. again. I just this morning I looked. If you want to be in Bellevue School District and have your kids go to Bellevue High, there's only two active homes on the market under two million dollars. Oh, wow. So that really just shows you how few homes there are to choose from. So yeah, if you're looking to buy and get settled in at the new year, you're you're. This very There's slim two pickings. Yeah. Two homes slim under $2 million. Shana, what's happening in your neck of the woods over there? Very similar to what Britt just mentioned. Right? Inventory is low, you guys. As a matter of fact, it's about half the inventory we had this time last year, which honestly isn't really saying that much because it felt like we had a lot of inventory last winter, but in actuality, we just had a little bit over two months supply. But this, this year, December, November, we're looking at about less than a month and a half inventory supply. So... My clients are anxious and, and ready to purchase. And I agree with Britt. You know, I, I've been saying for the last couple of months, I think that 2020 is going to start out with a bang. I think anybody that's ready to sell, it's go time about the 15th. I almost thought about listing my house this month because inventory is so low. So low. Right? Yeah. So Kyle, obviously on Friday. So Kyle, my co-host here on uh, on the house radio, does uh, a market update. And I think I'm going to go ahead and read that to you. Breaking news, delivered right to your door. It's Harry's Headlines. So uh, Harry's Headlines, mostly Kyle Burkwest's headlines. But anyway, here we go. Inventory is below 600 uh, single-family residents in the city of Seattle for the first time since May 2018. So that's 19 months ago. The current absorption rate is about 45.93%, meaning... You know, if no new homes hit the market and assuming a 30-day close, we would be out of inventory in 2.17 months right there. Wow, that's some stats. Is that some stats or what? Yeah. Uh, With that said, uh, he's expecting a pretty robust return to the market here in the next month. Um, The median single-family price in Seattle has hovered right around $750, you know, plus or minus $15,000 since about September of 2018. And we saw a small run-up of prices in the spring of 2019, but nothing like we've seen in recent years past. Um, He goes into a lot of other detail. If you'd like uh, Kyle's update, if you contact us at PRMI Seattle, uh, you can reach us directly, and we can put you on the mailing list. Uh, We're not going to market to you, but we will definitely send you Kyle's update. You can receive that free of charge. Uh, It gives a great History update uh, talks about different counties throughout uh, the great Puget Sound region. And you can reach us uh, at the office anytime at uh, primres.com or P-R-I-M-R-E-S.com or just uh, look up uh, primaryresidentialpugetsound.com as well. Or you can call us at the branch at 206-809-PRMI. I'd be happy to put you on that list. So. Uh, let's see. So it's about ten thirteen. We've got a couple of minutes. I want to uh, I want to uh, talk in, talk to uh, Jelaine about you know some mortgage fiduciaries, some responsibilities that LOs have. I'd like to kind of get into in the next segment specifically, you know what a mortgage loan officer does. Um, you know what they do to 
take continuing ed. There's requirements that they have to go through. There's specific laws that we all all discuss uh, on a daily basis sometimes, if not weekly. And uh, there's a lot of things that happen uh, when a mortgage person is kind of getting into the business to have training. And, Jelaine, I'd hope that maybe you could give some insight on that to us. Sure. Well, uh, a licensed or registered loan originator is not a salesperson. They are like a junior counselor. They're there to listen and to help people well, meet their financial goals. Right. This is a, a lot of private financial information that a home buyer is discussing with someone. And you want to you want to you want to trust that person whoever you've decided to work with that they're going to keep that private information private. Uh, they see everything. They see your missed payments. They see maybe you haven't saved enough money for retirement. They see maybe back child support, you know, stuff you don't really want anyone else to know. So this is, this is a, a very, um, a very close relationship, very private relationship you're going to have with someone. Mm-hmm. So you want to work with someone local that you can come in and sit down with. Yeah, I know there's internet lenders or whatever. Uh, but realtors don't necessarily like internet lenders, and we got a couple of real estate uh, brokers here. Maybe they can agree or disagree with me, but for the most part, they really want to work with local loan originators. Okay, folks, we're going to be talking about uh, mortgage fiduciaries. Obviously, we're going to take a look at mortgage fraud, that type of thing. So hang on. We'll be right back after this message. All-Pro defensive end Cliff Averill goes head-to-head with PRMI's mortgage advisor, Harry Christ. Harry, I ran a 40 in 4.5 seconds. I posted a 30-year fix under 4%. I bitched over 450 pounds. I moved houses. Wow. You ever win a national title? PRMI is a four-time top national lender. I'm sold. Primary residential mortgage. Call 206-809-PRMI. NMLS 3094. PRMI is an equal housing lender. Millions of Americans dream of owning a home. Yeah! Primary Residential Mortgage has already helped a quarter million of those Americans get there with a local team right here in the Puget Sound area and as one of the nation's leading and most established mortgage lenders. PRMI will provide you and your family with an incredible finance program to match your specific needs, helping you to start living that dream. This will be the sitting room. This will be my office. And this will be the... Your dream may be closer than you think. Call Primary Residential Mortgage, 206-809-PRMI. That's 206-809-PRMI. We bought a house, people. Primary Residential Mortgage. Your dreams right at home. 206-809-PRMI. Woohoo! Primary Residential Mortgage, NMLS 3094. PRMI is an equal housing lender. A few months ago, my family was facing a crisis. My 88-year-old father needed emergency surgery that would change the way my parents had planned to live out their golden years. He was going to need long-term care, and I was worried it would wipe out their life savings. I called my friend Rajiv Nagayich of Aging Options, and I asked him for help. Rajiv assured us he could help preserve my parents' hard-earned money so we could just focus on my father's health 
and I'm happy to say my dad is doing so much better and is looking forward to coming home. Rajiv has helped countless families protect their assets and preserve their quality of life. Don't wait until your family is facing a crisis. See Rajiv. Rajiv will be in Bellingham Tuesday, January 7th, January 8th in Linwood, Thursday the 9th in Federal Way, Tuesday the 14th in Bellevue, and Thursday the 16th in Puyallup. Call 877-76-AGING. That's 877-76-AGING. Or visit agingoptions.com. That's agingoptions.com. Football is more than what happens on game day. It's about hard work and dedication off the field that leads to success. If you're looking to buy a house in this competitive market, you want a team committed to excellence day in and day out. This is All-Pro Defensive End Cliff Averill for Primary Residential Mortgage. Looking to buy a home? Start by picking the right team. Primary Residential Mortgage. Call 206-809-PRMI at PRMIPugetSound.com. Primary Residential Mortgage, NMLS 3094. PRMI is an equal housing lender. Sponsored by Primary Residential Mortgage. Welcome back to On the House with your host, Harry Christ. Welcome back, Seattle. Welcome back, Puget Sound, on this MO. Exciting day here with the Seahawks. We're all excited to see them win today. Hopefully they can get that done in the clinic. Uh, so, hey, I'd like to uh, kind of take a look at, uh, we, we talked a little bit about all the different things that loan officers go through, uh, especially with the training, right, Jelaine? And, yes. and you're an amazing trainer. You, you physically come out to different mortgage companies and real estate companies, and you teach realtor clock hours. And you can talk about any topic that's specific, right? Sometimes it could be uh, mortgage fraud, or maybe it could be ethics, or maybe it could be, you know, something specific to assist a a new loan officer or a new realtor, right? Yes. In their career. What I'm really interested in is protection for the consumer. Uh, I know those classes that I've gone through have been fantastic. Just, you know, put a feather in your cap. Uh, I think they're very informative, and they make... um, they make you know your your life a little bit easier because you're up to date on what you need to do, right? And so many people, you know, there's a different level of theoretical loan officer, right? More mortgage officer, whatever you want to uh, you know call the group in in and of a whole. Uh, and it's interesting to see which people really you know get into training. But I think some of your classes are amazing and kind of like. It, kind of like you to talk a little bit about the classes and, and kind yeah. of what you do. Is that Gosh, okay? Harry, yeah. I think I've been seeing you in classroom for 15 years. It's got to be a long time, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about that this morning. So in 2008, President Bush signed a really big law, Housing and Economic Recovery Act. It was massive. It did things like it bailed out some of the car dealerships and, and it bailed out some of the banks. But another part that was in the Housing and Economic Recovery Act was called the Safe Mortgage Licensing Act of 2008. And that requires loan originators who work for a non-bank lender and a mortgage broker take a 20-hour pre-licensing class, and each state can add on to that. So there's four extra hours that wash, that uh, people here in Washington State take on Washington State law. Then you have to pass a rigorous licensing exam, and you do have a full 50-state background check and a set of fingerprints that are run through the FBI database. You can have no felonies at all within seven years of licensure, 
And that is not true of getting a real estate license. You can still get a real estate license if you have a felony, which is kind of sad, uh, but not with a loan originator. If you have a felony or gross misdemeanor that has to do with financial crime, uh, you are permanently banned from holding any position in the mortgage lending industry for the rest of your life. So that did raise the bar on loan originators. If a loan originator works at a depository bank, uh, they don't take our class and our test. Instead, they take an equivalent class and an equivalent test at their own bank from their own in-house trainers, but they still are registered within the public database. And every LO has a number that is supposed to be advertised right after their name, anywhere their name appears. And you can go to that federal registry and look up any loan originator by their name or number to make sure they're properly licensed and are not in trouble with the state or federal regulator. Key uh, key point there. Obviously, uh, you know, when the SAFE Act came out, I was uh, very interested in seeing that the you know the the years of work that it took to come out and finally mm-hmm. it when it was out i was relieved because in the in the old days anyone could do a mortgage i mean it was basically you know it wasn't considered the most um well let's just say that it was easy to do right and now after the safe act with the requirement for licensing with the requirement for continuing education i think it's brought a stronger loan officer to the public and i think anything that protects consumers is obviously going to be you know good overall right right so real estate brokers go through a long amount of training i want to say it's a three-week class now does that sound about right and then when you're a brand new real estate broker you also go through extra training your first couple of years here in washington state so way more training initially on the real estate side whereas the lending side is only 20 hours and the reason why they do that is now the loan originator has to take a class every single year a new class every year to get updated on specific state and federal laws. Mm-hmm. And then recently, we, we kind of talked a little bit uh, in the morning about the ability for a loan officer to work in different states now. That's uh, been a new change that's that's occurred. Uh, so I think that's kind of interesting, right? So each state has their own requirement with regards to additional training per loan officer, correct? Correct. Yeah. So, yeah, interesting Um uh, some of the classes that you teach, uh, we go into ethics uh, pretty deeply. There's a lot of uh, touch-and-go scenarios when you're being a mortgage originator that, you know, the reality there is that you want to ask a lot of questions. You want to make sure that you have an informed consumer, but you also want to make sure that they understand, you know, the process and that you have someone there to explain the process for them. And if they have questions, to bring up questions. So, Britt and Sean, I mean, you, you guys deal with your sides, right, of the real estate industry. And, you know, I think both of you do an amazing job explaining kind of, you know, purchase sale contracts and everything else. But what do you guys go, what do you do above and beyond that? You know, as far as recommending a lender, I, I think that's honestly, we have a roadmap that we give to our clients. And it's the, the, home, the home buying roadmap you know, what's step one? And it's always apply for your approval. That, that genuinely helps you understand what you can afford and helps you get to the point you need to be, which is, you know, getting keys to your new house. And so 
guiding our clients in the right direction is a, a huge component of the process and probably the most important because we as agents work in tandem with whomever the loan officer is that's selected by our clients. Certainly, there's not a kickback or a reciprocity program by any means that happens among lenders and agents, but it is our insurance policy as as far as helping our client. You know, we know that somebody that we have a personal relationship with is going to help us execute that contract and make sure that you're not in a position of perhaps losing earnest money, which is a big deal, or your yeah, lender huge. failing right. to close, which could cost you the house. Mm-hmm. And so helping our clients find the right loan officer or the right mortgage mortgage broker, whatever, what have you, is probably the most important job we have right out of the gate with our client. Britt? Britt, would you, yeah. I agree completely mm-hmm. with Shauna. So buyers come to us in several different ways. One of them is they've already have a, a lender or a mortgage broker already baked into them. Maybe they have a relationship with um, what, like a relative is a, a mortgage lender or they heard from a, a friend or what we really hate to see is they've they found a great rate on the internet yeah. and they're coming with, uh, a, say, Quicken Loans pre-approval. Um, that's when we shifted into kind of a, a neutral gear and try to to share with them how important the relationship is with the lender. And our job is to help them get the right house yeah. at, at the right price. And, 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 just, and we, just to say, Quicken is a great company. Uh, I've done business with them personally, and I think that they actually uh, do a very efficient job. So it's not all lenders, and it's not specifically Quicken. We don't want to call anyone out I'm there. so sorry, sorry about that. I did not okay. mean to throw any particular internet lender under the bus. Right. But my job, when I'm pitching my buyers to the seller, to the seller's agent, that seller's agent has to feel confident about that lender's ability to close. And if I can't come to that other agent on the other side and say, hey, I know that this lender is completely, it's great. I've worked with them for years. I guarantee that this this right. loan will close. It then diminishes my ability to do my job as well as I can for my clients if, if I can't readily state that this level close. Yeah, at, at PRMI, so obviously we're high touch. And what we mean by that is when the loan officer is kind of reviewing income and asset documents and employment status and title and escrow and things like that, we're, we're extremely high touch, meaning we're constantly communicating with the clients, you know, either uh, w- with whatever means that they have requested, but we're actively involved throughout the entire process. Uh, so that may be different some, from some bigger lenders that are out there or not. It's nice to be able to locally pick up the phone and say, hey, uh, I have an issue on title. Looks like there's a judgment we didn't know about. Uh, what are the solutions for po- perhaps you know, clearing this judgment? And you know, in, having in-house processing and underwriting uh, for loan officers as well are very key because you don't have to spend, you know, eight emails and send, you know, hours and hours of conversations. You just walk across and say, hey, I have a judgment on title. I'm not quite sure how to pay this off. There's maybe not enough in the structure of it. Maybe you have some suggestions. Or, I mean, that could just be one case scenario, right? Uh, IRS tax liens, those are always fun as well, that type of stuff. Well, I'm, I'm going to chime right back in. I can't say enough about finding a local lender because if I'm trying to pitch a deal uh, for clients and they have a lender out of Illinois or California, that does that just falls flat for the other party. And absolutely being able to call your lender, 
they can walk into your office. Yeah. Have a conversation. They could meet your originators. So, yeah, having a local lender is so vital. Right. So, folks, the number to the show is one triple eight nine seven three K I R O, and we will be right back. Millions of Americans dream of owning a home. Yeah! Primary Residential Mortgage has already helped a quarter million of those Americans get there with a local team right here in the Puget Sound area and as one of the nation's leading and most established mortgage lenders. PRMI will provide you and your family with an incredible finance program to match your specific needs, helping you to start living that dream. This will be the sitting room. This will be my office. And this will be the... Your dream may be closer than you think. Call Primary Residential Mortgage, 206-809-PRMI. That's 206-809-PRMI. We bought a house, people. Primary Residential Mortgage. Your dreams right at home. 206-809-PRMI. Primary Residential Mortgage, NMLS 3094. PRMI is an equal housing lender. Sponsored by Primary Residential Mortgage. Welcome back to On the House with your host, Harry Christ. Welcome back, Seattle. Thanks again for listening on this amazing Sunday. We're excited to uh, be here with you. And uh, just we have some great news coming out here uh, about the show uh, forthcoming as well, and that'll be you know explained to you here in the next week or two. So we're excited about some new opportunities that we have coming up. But I'd like to get back into um, our conversations with regards to uh, you know mortgage truth and advertising. You know when consumers see and hear an advertisement, whether it's on the internet, the radio, or TV, or anywhere else, you know federal law says the ad must be truthful, not misleading, and when appropriate you know, backed by scientific evidence. So Federal Trade Commission enforces these truth and uh, advertising laws. And Jelaine, I'd like you to kind of talk about those. When you see clients, or not clients, when you see mortgage companies out there saying, hey, we have the, you know, the worst word, best rates, or whatever it is that they're rate specific to, and they don't show an APR for a consumer, I, it drives me crazy when I see internet ads. Um, and the banner ads will say, you know, uh, best rate, uh, three and a quarter, but they don't show an APR, right? And that's, theoretically, that's illegal, yet so many companies are doing that. Is that just running rampant still or someone, you so, know, enforcing so that? This is a really old law. This like 1969, 1970, the mm-hmm. Truth in Lending Act. And any time a bank or a lender or a mortgage broker quotes a mortgage interest note rate, like, for example, 4%, we must always quote an APR after that. APR stands for annual percentage rate. And an APR is just simply the cost of credit annualized over one year. And it's meant as a shopping tool to help consumers understand that credit costs money. So what are today's rates, Jelaine? Oh, today's rates are 4.0 with an APR of 4.9. And that needs to be said if you're quoting rates verbally, talking to consumers on the phone or on the Internet, on the social medias, or in any kind of radio ad or print ad. Right. And and so what's really important there is the APR really helps consumers understand fees, right? I mean, there's taxes, there's insurance, there's title, there's escrow, there's credit reports there's all of the the stuff and there's points obviously right or sometimes there's no points 
So, you know, go ahead, Julie. All right. So that brings us to a really important point. There is no such thing as a no-cost loan. Uh, the Federal Trade Commission has really strong opinions about the use of the word free, and nobody in the mortgage lending industry works for free. Everyone earns a fee. Harry earns a fee. The real estate brokers earn their commission. I don't work for free. The appraiser, credit, everyone's got fees involved. So there is no such thing as a no-cost loan. And leading people to believe that you are giving someone something for free has been illegal since 2009, but you still hear that on the radio. Mm -hmm. Instead, the interest rate will be higher on that loan, and as such, because there are always fees involved, the annual percentage rate will also be higher. So So great for consumers to look at the APR and compare at that point. If the note rate is quoted, and also if someone is going to advertise a percentage of down payment, like zero down loans available, if you're going to advertise that, or a payment, you could buy this home for $3,000 a month. Those are triggering terms that require the disclosure of the APR. And you don't want to work with local lenders, Internet lenders that are going to advertise deceptively. Avoid them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and the trigger terms are specific to, you know, anytime you know, mortgage uh, lenders don't specifically talk about rate because everyone's, you know, we don't do that on the show simply because everyone's situation is different, Right. Right. Uh, Advertising that you have the best rates or the lowest rates is also prohibited because that would require the lender to survey all lenders in all 50 states when you advertise that, and that's humanly not possible. So that's considered hyperbole or it's considered exaggeration. Right. So, um, yeah, I'd like to segue into other types of um, things that happen in in the mortgage industry and and one that, uh, you know, consumers have continuously run up against is fraud and that can be fraud for occupancy can be fraud for um you know uh maybe disclosing incorrectly information to a lender and make them assume that like one example is like buying a property owner occupied if you buy a house owner occupied you have to live in that house you're not buying the house owner occupied and then you suddenly make it an investment property it doesn't work like that right so um, occupancy fraud seems to be always out there. Um, are you seeing a lot more of that? or? Well, occupancy fraud is the most common type of mortgage fraud. It's called fraud for housing, and the FBI gives us two classifications, and that's the one that we see more often than not through any real estate cycle, whether the mortgage industry and the real estate industry is going up or it's going down. Fraud for housing is always there. And the reason why people lie about occupancy is you get a lower interest rate when you occupy the home. If uh, something happens in your life and you run out of money, well, you're probably going to try to make that payment because you and your family live there. But you're more likely to walk away or default on a rental property when times go down. And that's why the rates are higher on those. We statistically see the defaults higher on non-owner-occupied homes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. the interesting thing um, specifically that we typically have very detailed discussions with our consumers. Um, you know, we're, you know, if, if it is going to be owner occupied, we're having that discussion saying, Hey, this literally means that you are going to occupy the property and don't be surprised that if the lender door knocks the house and there is nobody, you know, at the house, uh, specifically you, then you could be in trouble. And so there's things out there that protect consumers. Um, 
obviously owner occupied rates are significantly uh, or adjusted lower than investment properties and and investment properties speculate with risk right so that's the reason for the difference there but i mean it is interesting to see that that still things like that are happening and the other crazy thing that i saw the other day was that there's some straw purchases happening as well right where uh, have you seen any of the dialogue with regards to recent straw purchase activity? Well, before we get into straw buyers, which we tend to see when a market is going up, mm-hmm. yes, let's finish up with occupancy. A really common question sometimes asked of a realtor is, uh, how long do I have to live in the home? Remember that, Britt? Absolutely. All the time. It Could it be one year? Is it two years? What is the definition of owner-occupied? Right. Because I think that a lot of people, especially now, they think... Airbnb. I think about probability of you know moving up in the next year, year for two years. And I wish it was a simple answer like one year, boom. So what I would do if I was still originating is I would go print out the Fannie Mae deed of trust and I would hand it to the home buyer and say, let's take a look at the document you're going to be signing at the very end because you don't want this to be a surprise. So I'm going to just read it's a couple sentence. Occupancy. Borrowers shall occupy, establish, and use the property as borrower's principal residence within 60 days. So they want you to move in within 60 days after the execution of the seed of trust and shall continue to occupy the property as your primary residence for at least one year after the date of occupancy unless lender agrees otherwise in writing. And the lender can change that. The lender can add on occupancy rules, and that would usually be found at the very end of the deed of trust. Mm -hmm. So have the home buyer read this and and make sure that they understand what they'll be asking to sign. Right. You know, I actually went to a buyer signing very recently, and there was literally three documents that they were signing to state that this was owner-occupied, and it even had a fraud uh, warning. That was really surprising. I, I mean, I've been to a lot of signings, but... I think this must be coming up more, or would you say that it's coming up more now, or is this the specific buyer just got a lot of warnings? Well, I think one of the trends I've seen over the last maybe 18 months or so is the idea of a second home, and the person is buying a second home. Maybe it's going to be the second home, and maybe they're going to use it as an Airbnb. Yeah, Airbnb discussions, I mean, I typically keep it pretty straight. It's either owner-occupied or it's investment. I mean, if there is an intent to buy a home and have a lot portion of their home so that they can, you know, if they wanted to, they could Airbnb that one room out of their house. So how do you think that works in with the discussion we're having? I think they need to have that discussion up front and be honest about it and simply explain that, hey, uh, this is an owner-occupied property. My family is moving in. Is there a possibility, check with the lender, on whether or not it can be rented as a B&B? And then that loan officer should go back to the lender and say, hey, uh, what exactly is allowed and what is not allowed? Because each situation can be different, right? Those writers are written for a specific purpose. I happen to have in my back pocket the in your second back pocket? home. Doesn't <laughs> nice. everybody carry the Fannie Mae second Fanny. home occupancy? Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. Right? Or along with the I'm the only one. Okay. So I'm going to read you this. So these are for people who are purchasing a home as a second home. This is what you'll be asked to sign at closing. Borrower will occupy and use the property as borrower's second home. Borrower will maintain exclusive control over the occupancy of the property, including short-term rentals, and will not subject the property to any time-sharing or other shared ownership arrangement or 
to any rental pool or agreement that requires borrower to either rent the property or give a management firm or any other person or entity any control over the occupancy or use of the property. That sure sounds like Airbnb to me. So if you really want to buy a home as an Airbnb, and maybe you'll spend some time there in the summer too, well, that sounds like um, a rental property. Right. Remember, a rental property. And I don't know, Harry, help us out. Is a, a non-occupied rate going to be higher than a second home rate? Uh, second home rates are typically lower because they're kind of almost at par levels or maybe, you know, almost the same as uh, owner-occupied. And so you see the motivation for people to think. They think about lying about this. Yeah. And they're usually mm-hmm. thinking about this at the beginning when they go out to car with the realtor and they're looking around. They might bring this up to figure out if the realtor, real estate broker knows anything. Um, and then maybe they'll ask the loan originator this. So that's what I do. I would give this to the people at the very beginning so that they can read it and they're going to understand what they're going to sign. And then I'd make some excuse to leave the room. Sometimes a husband and wife need to talk to you or to each other without you present. And maybe I'll go down the hall and get, get them some coffee. And then when you come back, maybe they'll have changed their mind. And maybe they're going to decide they'll want to write it as a non-owner. Yeah, well, occupancy is um, it's a conversation that a loan officer has throughout the, throughout the transaction. It's always from beginning to the middle to the end. It's a continual communication about what is expected, what is you know what they're going to be signing, et cetera. So um, you know the rules are written so that we can all follow them, and hopefully uh, we're we're here to kind of provide some light on those type of things. All right, so it's uh, ten forty four, and we got to go to break. So folks, uh, we will be right back in a moment, and we're going to wrap up this segment. All-Pro defensive end Cliff Averill goes head-to-head with PRMI's mortgage advisor, Harry Christ. Harry, I ran a 40 in 4.5 seconds. I posted a 30-year fix under 4%. I benched over 450 pounds. I moved houses. Wow. You ever win a national title? PRMI is a four-time top national lender. I'm sold. Primary residential mortgage. Call 206-809-PRMI. NMLS 3094. PRMI is an equal housing lender. Hey, it's Story Monson with my new friend, Barb, a fellow 3010 Weight Loss for Life client. And Barb, how much weight have you lost so far? 57 pounds. And you were telling me you had a real exciting moment of revelation. I've been flying forever, and I've always had to ask for a seatbelt extender. But then when the flight attendant brought me over the seatbelt extender, I said, look, I don't need it. It fits. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. And I'm clapping, and she's <laughs> high-fiving, and the people next to me are high-fiving, you know. <laughs> so, so when that seatbelt clicked in, that click was, <laughs> was your moment of triumph. Uh, yeah, it was heard around the world as far as I was concerned. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, yeah, it was, it was really great. Barb, it is inspiring to talk to you. Now it's your turn. Find the location nearest you. 3010 Weight Loss for Life. 855-843-3010. That's 855-843-3010. Come on, after hearing Barb's story, you've got to get motivated to do it for yourself now. 3010weightlossforlife.com. 
Millions of Americans dream of owning a home. Yeah! Primary Residential Mortgage has already helped a quarter million of those Americans get there with a local team right here in the Puget Sound area and as one of the nation's leading and most established mortgage lenders. PRMI will provide you and your family with an incredible finance program to match your specific needs, helping you to start living that dream. This will be the sitting room. This will be my office. And this will be the... Your dream may be closer than you think. Call Primary Residential Mortgage, 206-809-PRMI. That's 206-809-PRMI. We bought a house, people. Primary Residential Mortgage. Your dreams, right at home. 206-809-PRMI. Woohoo! Primary Residential Mortgage, NMLS 3094. PRMI is an equal housing lender. Football is more than what happens on game day. It's about hard work and dedication off the field that leads to success. If you're looking to buy a house in this competitive market, you want a team committed to excellence day in and day out. This is All-Pro Defensive End Cliff Averill for Primary Residential Mortgage. Looking to buy a home? Start by picking the right team. Primary Residential Mortgage. Call 206-809-PRMI at PRMIPugetSound.com. Primary Residential Mortgage, NMLS 3094. PRMI is an equal housing lender. Sponsored by Primary Residential Mortgage. Welcome back to On the House with your host, Harry Christ. Welcome back, Seattle. Welcome back, Puget Sound. Uh, So, you know, if you need uh, some assistance, you perhaps are out in the market or you have uh, friends and family that are considering doing a purchase, we'd be happy to assist. Uh, There is no obligation to buy, but you can always give us a call for information. We're at 206-809-PRMI, and we'd be happy to help out with a purchase or a refinance. So uh, back in February... Uh, there was a lot of discussion about Airbnb income rentals on applications for refinance loans. And uh, a new program came out uh, about Airbnb mortgages, uh, or specifically Fannie Mae and the three or four big lenders uh, that they had rolled out that some of this income was going to be allowed. So, again, you know, it's interesting to see Airbnb is just something completely different. Um, have you guys have you guys experienced a lot of that? I have some personal experience with Airbnb. Sure. I've actually had um, friends have who have done incredibly well on Airbnb under uh, well all sorts of circumstances. But me personally, I decided just as, on a whim and a prayer uh, over the summer because I had one month to play with. I thought I'd put my own home on Airbnb, and I did so very successfully. I. I, I don't know if I should even share how much I ended up making for one month, but I'm um, excited about the money. It was almost like crack money, and it was just it was very energizing. Uh, but then I got a letter from the city of Bellevue, and it said, actually, you're not allowed to have an Airbnb here. You have to have a 30-day or more rental period on your home. Luckily, I only had that, that one month to work with, but it came to mind, hey, no one really knows what the cities are doing and continue to change and ebb and flow on their restrictions for Airbnb. So I find it very dangerous for buyers to go out buying a home, thinking that they're going to Airbnb their property, and then suddenly the cities change their their rules on what their zone. Yeah, it's it's really at uh, someone else's. Uh, 
restrictions that you're working under. So I do find it to be very, very risky for people to buy homes based on Airbnb. I have to agree with you there, Britt, too, because, uh, you know, we've had such low inventory here in the greater Seattle Puget Sound area that it's my personal feeling that as long as we have low inventory, that kind of puts a crunch on what people are doing, what their intended use is with their property. And so if we're having trouble housing people as a whole, those that permanently live in the area, live and work in the greater Seattle area, what happens when we have too many Airbnbs or too many short-term rentals? Will the city then adjust accordingly? Who's to say? But as you're accumulating property with the intent to rent, uh, maybe in a short-term fashion, because like we discussed with your property, what would you have yielded had you rented your home just on a lease? On a short-term basis. Exactly. Versus on the short-term basis where you're getting you know, a high rate per night. That might change the reasoning and and really the validity of your your purchase. Well, and I also think about how neighborhoods look at Airbnb. I mean, I I put my place on Airbnb. I didn't really think about the impact that it would have on my neighbors. Suddenly they see a new family come in. Boy, that must have been a shock. I probably should have door knocked and told people what I was up to. But it really changes the dynamic of neighborhoods. And I can see exactly the position that a city would come come at saying, this is changing the dynamic of our neighborhoods. We don't want it. Also, there's the decreased revenue within the city from hotel nights. So there's a lot of reasons why cities would decide. Yeah, Yeah. there's no upside for cities to allow this that I can see except for more density. But they're really just forgoing the tax that they're getting out of those hotels. Airbnb has uh, morphed a lot. I mean, I remember 2007 and 2008 during the great uh, recession that we had, and people were doing anything they could to save their homes. And it's not that far removed uh, when you consider what a major impact that did to so many families across um, the great United States. But, I mean, it's a little different. Airbnb is... uh, you know, it's 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 completely different than, you know, maybe doing a small, you know, rent out situation to save your home. Right. And so right. laws are constantly changing. It's not like, you know, you have to be up to date on what's happening with your specific city, with your county. And uh, I, I was wondering if there's any good place for Airbnb info, info but um well, I just Googled it, and oh, it d- does look like they're planning on going IPO this year. And I'm just, I'm really curious how this will play out over the long term. Well, I think that the the speculation in housing, the last bubble, uh, not the one we're in now, the one from the 2000 to 2008, it was all rental property flipping, yes? Yeah. And now I, the housing speculation I see is the Airbnb thing. So if the market slows down a bit, nah, I don't think this year, I think this 2020 will be fine. It's kind of hard to see past that. Um, but 2021, who knows? If it does slow down a little bit, then what people can do if they have an Airbnb-type house is they could just lease it out long-term then, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Turn it into a long-term rental. And so that's where the speculation is, but there is at least a cushion for that. Mm-hmm. that However, if your numbers work. Yeah, when you're looking at, let's just let's just say on a rental in Bellevue, not saying what, uh, you could rent your house out for about $4,500 a month. Well, you could probably double that even more on Airbnb. So if you're doing your numbers, your books, your 
analysis based off of very, very high numbers, mm-hmm. you're going to be in a really scary place. Yeah, mm-hmm. no cap rate on your Airbnb business. It's, <laughs> pro- it's probably not how you should take a look at that for long term. Yep. You probably should consider the, the longer term rental option. Like you said, it is uh, it is a fallback plan, but it's not going to command what you would at a nightly rate. Yeah, I think with the Airbnb, I mean, as long as you're doing that as an investment property and that you've studied and you've spent the time to research the rules and regulation, you should be able to, you know, um, uh, get a, you know, have the right information so that you can make the right decision long term. I guess, sir. Well, I heard that in Hawaii they have, they're they're really talking about eliminating it completely, and so if you had bought something with the intent on Is that because Airbnb. of the hotel industry? I believe so. I mean, that's wow. such a big Lobby. portion of yeah. Yeah. Right. Well I think we're talking about projections, so that may that leads me I'm taking over your job, Harry. Yeah, there you go. To a segue. Knock yourself out. Let me get a cup of coffee. I couldn't even help <laughs> it. Uh, I'm curious what everybody thinks, you know, short moment on your predictions for twenty twenty because that's kind of what everyone wants to know. All right. So what's, what's happening in the mortgage rates? Yeah. So the Federal Reserve is signaling that rates will probably just stay low for the next for the foreseeable future and I don't know how far out maybe just 2020 but I would expect for uh, rates to stay low and drop maybe further. And that's because it doesn't matter who's in office, Democrats or Republicans, the rates always stay low and fall during an election year because whoever's in office wants to get reelected. Both sides play that game, so let's just put that out there, yes? Mm-hmm. yes. And so uh, our industry tends to prepare for low rates during a presidential election year. Well, that's the lead domino, right? Yeah. I love that prediction. And I also, so people always ask me, hey, Britt, When's going to be the high of the market? When's going to be the low of the market? And I am inevitably saying, hey, you know, the only time that you'll know the low of the market is when you're looking at it in the rear view mirror. So when the rates are good, don't you just refi or make your purchase now rather than waiting for, you know, that quarter point or that point? It's impossible to to, um, time the market perfectly. It's just not possible. It's not. So work with local people who can help you understand how to meet your financial goals. Yes. Right. Now would be a good time for finance. Maybe it wouldn't. It's up to you and that person to figure that out for you. So many conversations when people are refinancing are straight up no. <laughs> it's right. not a good time for you to do this. There's not a benefit to you, right? There's a cost-benefit analysis we run. There's a in- important part of making sure that there's a benefit to the borrower, right? Yes. And um, You'd be surprised. I mean, maybe out of 10 applications that refi, maybe half of those are straight up no. We would suggest that you not incur more fees, know that you would not refinance or that we did, do not see a benefit. Mm-hmm. And so it's not always that, yeah, it's a fantastic time to refinance just because rates are low. Each person's scenario is different. Each person's rate is different. Each person's you know, structure can be completely different, both from an economic point of view and a in a finance point of view. So it's is not there a rule of thumb, though? Is there like, hey, I purchased my house at 4.5, rates are now at 3.5. Is that like a, a trigger that says yes? Or is there is it, that still it under? Okay. Yeah, it depends, depends on what the client really is going to be doing and what their long-term goals are, right? If you're taking a couple hundred dollars a month and you're investing that into a 401k or a Roth or something that has positive return, uh, and they're maybe cutting term or they're maybe dropping from a 30 to a 15. Yeah, there's obviously going to be benefits, but it's important for the loan officer to explain those benefits in detail and then present it to the consumer and let them decide 
what they're going to do. It's not a sales situation. It's a educate, 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 let them make their own decisions based on, you know, equity positions and what they'd save. So it is 1058, and uh, we've got to wrap things up. So, Shauna, if people want to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Sure. Shauna Peterson, my number is 206 979 6637 and Keller Williams just launched a new website so I have a new da, web da, address da, da. I know wow. uh, just getting started so seattle.kw.com fabulous yes Britt Whitmer founder and CEO of the Brit Group at Sotheby's you can reach me at 206-683-1737 and my web address is brittspicks.com Jelaine you can find me at the website ceforward.com, C as in continuing, E as in education, ceforward.com. Awesome. Thanks again, all three of you amazing people for being on the show today. Folks, uh, my name is Harry Christ, and I'm with PRMI. You can always reach me at the Seattle office at 206-809-PRMI. Have a blessed weekend. Go, Go Hawks. Hawks. Go Hawks. You've been listening to On the House, sponsored by Primary Residential Mortgage, NMLS 3094, Harry Christ, NMLS 96705, PRMI as an equal housing lender.